Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. And this time around, it's an Ask Me Anything. Are you ready? So as I said, this episode is an Ask Me Anything episode. And by Ask Me Anything, it means that you, my most excellent listeners, have submitted questions for me to answer in this episode of the podcast. Now, I've recently been starting the month with a solo episode. So at the beginning of every month, you know that the first Monday of the month, the podcast is either going to be me as a solo episode, deep diving into a particular topic. And we've covered quite a few this year already. But I realized the other day that I hadn't actually spoken to you other than in the normal way that we do by asking you to submit questions and topics for discussion on the show. So I went into the Facebook group, the link to join us in the show notes, and I asked lovely Facebook members to share some questions with me that they would like me to deep dive into in this episode. And I also threw it open to Instagram. And so all of the questions that you will hear in this episode were either submitted via the Facebook group or via Instagram. And there are some really good ones. There are definitely some themes that crop up again and again. So a few I've bunched together, but shall we get cracking? So the first question, this comes from Facebook and it says, I would love to know how you feel about travel. I love your questions about risk as it's so revealing about a person. As someone who can only switch off properly when I've passed through an airport and stepped onto foreign soil, I'm always fascinated to hear how other people's views and experiences about travelling or holidays and would love to know, are they important? Are there people slash professions that really don't enjoy travelling to new places? I would love that question. Well, I think this is a great question and obviously it made me think about how I feel about travel. And I have to say... I love and hate travel in equal measure. And I know that sounds really bizarre, but when I'm traveling, I am a hundred percent into it. I absolutely love it. I, I like you, there is something disconnecting about getting airside at an airport. So that basically that you can't get back to the other side very easily without going through passport control again, that takes an emotional burden off my shoulders. And so I completely feel what you're saying. I, yeah, it's there's something very oh, and breathe about getting to the other side. And it's where something very weird happens where money takes on a different feeling. It suddenly sort of has more of a monopoly element to it. I don't know if anyone else goes into duty free and thinks that money suddenly by going from one side of the airport to the other money suddenly feels a bit different. I don't know, but that definitely does with me especially back in the day when we used to use physical currency, getting having a wallet with a different currency and felt like fake money or pretend money. But that's just another thing. But I also, the reason I say I don't like it is because I've never actually ventured or traveled under my own steam very much. So I'm incredibly lucky because I have traveled so much. The world opened up to me in a way that I could never have imagined when I got my job on the magazine. Within the first three months, I think I'd been to Paris and to Monaco. I had been to Cannes. I, had, I mean, I just, things that I would just simply wouldn't have been available to me other than under my own steam. And it wouldn't have been very glamorous had I done it that way when I started working. And so in the course of my job, I used to go to Paris quite frequently, maybe a few times a year. I went on the most incredible trip to Rio and did a helicopter trip around Christ the Redeemer. I've been to Berlin, I've been to Milan, I've been to New York. I've really traveled. And that was just with the beauty element of my job. I'm sure there are other places now that I can't quite um, draw into my brain. But additionally, on the magazine, there was a travel section. And my travel editor is one of my favorite. I mean, she is actually an excellent human being. I haven't worked with her for over 10 years, actually, probably 15, because she left way before I did. But anyway, she was really wonderful. And we had this great deal going on. I was the beauty editor. If she wanted something from the beauty cupboard, it was hers. When she got the the offers in for the trips, she would say, Emma, there's one to the Maldives. And I would say, Annabelle, that one is mine. So I've been very fortunate in that I was very picky about the trips that I wanted to go on. And during my time on the magazine, I went, I did travel features three times. It's terrible, isn't it? Three times to the Maldives. And so when you wrote the uh, question about getting onto the other side, getting through airport, airport security and everything and suddenly relaxing, the Maldives is really special because when you're there you generally you can't see much you've got this tiny little island and then you look out on the horizon seems to go on for absolutely ever 
And it was, used to be the only time I would ever feel as though I was properly switching off, which is obviously a great luxury considering the Maldives is not an inexpensive place to travel to. But those are the circumstances a while ago. And it was when I was chatting to Lee Pycroft when she came on the podcast a while ago, and she really helped me understand why. And I hadn't really thought about this before, but it's basically a biological function in the brain or a chemical function in the brain that when you can see essentially obviously you can't see 360 but when you can see pretty much 180 degree horizon in front of you or just a view in front of you and nothing can come towards you so there's no threat imminent on the horizon and when that is so vast and so broad and takes up such a huge amount of your eyeline the brain releases a chemical to relax because it knows that you don't have to react you don't have to go into fight or flight mode and I thought that was very, very interesting. And it's made me think about the places that I would like to go when I do travel, because I would like to enjoy that kind of chemical high again of being able to not just say, oh, and relax, but to also have that kind of sense of oh, it's OK, which I think is something that is really hard to to grab a hold of in the world as it exists today and in the lives that we've kind of chosen for ourselves. And so I do think travel is really important. But the reason why I say I, I don't like it is because I, I'm quite scared of traveling, truth be told. I also am not very good at organizing it. I just assume that I'm going to get ripped off, that I'm going to buy a ticket and it's going to be some uh, unscrupulous travel company who will then go into liquidation and I'll lose my money and holidays and traveling is not a cheap pursuit so I always err on the side of caution so when it comes to going to places where I have friends like Los Angeles where I have Lindsay friend of the show I know you know you all know Lindsay Kelk or New York where I have a base of friends or even if I were to go to Australia and I know that there are people that I would feel very comfortable with instantly I, it doesn't matter to me at all I can jump on a plane to Los Angeles and think absolutely nothing of it but I would really love to go to European cities I'd love to go to Barcelona I've heard it's beautiful my friend just went to Prague and said it's really pretty but there's a part of me that worries about solo traveling and safety. And so I'm sort of held back. So I love it. And I completely agree. And I do think it's really important to change your scenery. A change is as good as a rest. And I think I must overcome this fear of travel because I'm actually not allowing myself to enjoy something really important, which is that disconnect from everyday life and I think we all probably felt it when we were locked down when we couldn't go out it became as much as you could get used to it except all of those things it became quite claustrophobic after a while and I've got to as I record this it's the first week of November and I have not I mean I did go to LA but in truth truth be told when I went to LA I never really got over my jet lag then I went to Vegas for two days and was almost deliriously tired uh, so I don't really count that as a break or a rest, even though I had an absolutely wonderful time. But I've got to the first week of November and I haven't really taken any time off. I've just got to the point where at the beginning of the week I've gone, I'm just so burnt out and I've just done less. But I haven't actually been away from where I live. I haven't taken time away and done anything. And I've also got into that horrible mindset of, Oh, but why would I go away when I, I just, I, there's always a reason not to go away. It's like, oh, well, if I go away, that's going to be great, but it's going to be so much upheaval and I'm going to have to organize this and I need to get my post redirected and I need to make sure people don't leave parcels outside my door, all of that sort of stuff that just means that I don't want to face that. So I don't do it. And I, as I'm saying that to you listeners, I realize how daft that sounds. Please, if you relate to any of that, just email me so that I feel less stupid. If you don't, please don't email me and cuss me out because I think I already know the stupidity of it. But anyway, I want to enjoy cities, European cities for sure. And actually, even with London, if you follow me on Instagram, and you've heard me talk about it many, many a time on here, I try to walk everywhere. But actually, I had some time between meetings recently. And I just went into the National Portrait Gallery and had had a mooch around. And it sounds really daft. I could I could do so many things, but I thought I could just don't want to sit in another coffee shop. I don't want to kill time. If I am going to kill time, I want to do it by seeing something that I've not seen before. And so I'm being really mindful at the moment of not only walking through London, but paying attention to where I am, what I'm looking at, what's nearby, and also seeing if there's anything like that that I can drop in on, just so that there's a variety. Because even though 
what I learned from going to the National Portrait Gallery and just seeing this sort of free exhibition, just like, yeah, a lot of religious art. I mean, not nice, interesting, but nothing that really blew me away. Um, what I did learn is that I do need to open my eyes to more because as much as there's an algorithm on social media that shows you the same thing over and over again, you can do that with your own life. You can walk the same way to the same place every day. You can look at the same things and not notice other other things that are right in front of you. And so I'm trying to be quite mindful of that moving forward and uh, just, just exper- is, it, is it experimenting? I don't know what it is, but it's just trying to be open because it's like that sort of very... Um, cheesy self-help thing of if you go out every day and don't look for opportunity you won't see it but if you go out every day thinking that today is an opportunity to meet your next best friend or to I don't know meet the next love of your or the meet the love of your life whatever you're never going to see them you have to be open to it and I think much like the algorithms I think it can be really easy to just kind of get into a routine and close yourself off to what's right in front of you and not see it and I'm trying to be better at that so I know that's probably not just about travel but I think travel is so for me entwined with many many other things it's like the bravery of traveling particularly traveling solo and how it opens up your mind to other people cultures experiences even just architecture just going around a city that just does is is a city that looks really different from the city that you're familiar with i find that really fascinating too um so if you have a thought on that this lovely listener has asked for other people's opinions so please do if you have any thoughts on that email me and i'll read it out on the next ask me anything okie doke another question from the facebook group using social media is obviously important for your work do you struggle to set limits with social media How do you find a balance between social media for work and personal time? Well, I think the answer to that is I do not. I'm without a shadow of a doubt not able to set limits with social media and I'm not able to find a balance between social media for work and my personal life because if I'm engaged with social media and it's a Saturday afternoon and I see something and it could potentially inform a style of how I do something or is something that impresses me and I think oh I should do something similar to that then it has influenced me and it has fired up my my work brain in the same way that if you got a work call in the evening or on a weekend that that part of your brain is fired up and you sort of start percolating work thoughts in the background and I know that the way to do that might be potentially to have a personal social media account and a professional social media account, but I just don't have time for that. I don't have, I don't want to particular, you, if you've been with the show a while, you'll know that you know me quite well, but there's also stuff that I simply don't share on social media because it is private, not because I'm holding back, just because it never occurs to me to share it, to be completely honest. But I know, so having a personal account would be completely pointless because I wouldn't upload to it. And so I wouldn't, all of my friends are on my work account if I want to see what they're doing that's how I do it having a personal account just seems like a waste of time but I do think it's really important to think about social media in the way that you would think about what you're eating and whether you're eating junk and how that might make you feel in the long term and I think sometimes I'm really guilty of it I think sometimes you can look at social media and you can just be gorging on junk there's nothing of value in there and so I've actually found myself, if I do feel that I'm in the, in the mood to mindlessly scroll, I might go to YouTube more actually, because I'm more likely to find longer form content that has useful, I don't know, useful, engaging stuff that I can learn essentially. Social media clips, particularly on TikTok, it's just snippets of shows and clips of people, I don't know, getting dressed or showing you their makeup. And that's all great. And I love it. But if I'm going to watch makeup content, I would much rather watch Lisa Eldridge talk about makeup because the way that she talks about makeup is simply unparalleled. No one talks about makeup in the way that she does. The artistry, the things that she notices, the way that she applies makeup, I find utterly mesmerizing. And I always feel better for having watched her videos or Sam Chapman. I watch her videos and immediately I'm just in my makeup, putting makeup on. Nick Haste is absolutely, Nick Chapman is absolutely the same. I find that those longer form videos where they're talking about how they're using a product, why they're using a product really valuable. But I also really like 
the behavior panel and watching them analyze I haven't actually watched it yet but it's on my watch list to save because I really want to see it watching the behavior panel body language experts essentially break down like the Jada Pinkett Smith interviews or the Harry and Meghan interviews I find all of that stuff really interesting because actually as well as being entertaining you come away learning snippets about something that you would never have engaged with otherwise I would never pick up a book on the history of makeup truthfully I just I love makeup but I'm very much with it now I like the newness and I'm interested in the expertise of it from the people that I work with so being able to hear Lisa's videos and watch Lisa's videos is amazing and the same with the behavior panel as much as I might like to think I'd read a book on body language I probably wouldn't get round to it so watching their channel I find incredibly interesting and I love there's another channel that I really enjoy called Charisma on Command which is a really strong recommend from me they break down things like here are the five things not to do in a conversation if you want people to like you or here are three things you can do to make yourself instantly magnetic and they use examples from celebrity interviews to show you what that person was doing to actually get the interviewer to soften or to what they were doing that made them a great guest it's really I find it obviously given the work that I do I find it really really interesting so yes I have to be quite careful there is no balance but I have to be mindful of what I'm consuming and I actually very deliberately consume some really unhelpful content I know what it is I know it doesn't mean no good but I just find it absolutely uh, I don't know if amusing is the right word but I but I enjoy it in moderation I know it's not great I know it's unhelpful I know it's unhealthy but I enjoy it in moderation and that's that um so there is there is no balance the truth be told I do not set any limits it just it is what it is and because my work is on instagram and social media platforms as well i simply the, the idea of trying to have some sort of balance would be ludicrous although what is more likely to happen truthfully is if i do take time or if i do travel even when i went to la i majority of my stuff that i took pictures of and filmed i shared when i got back because i just didn't want to be socialing from my holiday so that's normally what happens. If I go quiet on social media, it's because I am, I've taken a break. And then I'll, I still might take pictures, but I'll just document them after the fact. That to me is probably the closest I have come to some sort of balance with social media as a work and a personal space. Right, question three, another one from the Facebook group. So this one is really interesting, very thought provoking. I had to think about this one for quite a long time. So the question is, what is your main motivation in your work slash life? And this is a really interesting question because it comes at a time when I'm really thinking about this myself, if I'm being entirely honest. And I think this year has been quite an interesting one in terms of what I have decided to do, some of the choices I've made, how I feel about those choices, and what I'm choosing to learn from them. <laughs> and I think what happened at the end of 2022 is I kind of looked around me and it was post-COVID, if you like, the world was going back to, in inverted commas, normal. And I realised that I had become quite competitive by the time 2023 rolled around. I had focused so hard on reaching the next goal or goals that I wasn't, I, I didn't at all stop to enjoy or just appreciate my achievements up to that point. And it's actually made this year feel quite unsettled and disappointing because all of the things I've tried ultimately cost me a lot of money, fell way short of my expectations and, and left me feeling a bit daft for having tried them. But with that said, failure is a good thing. And if I hadn't made all of those choices this year, things would have stayed the same. And I'd probably be doing this AMA saying how I had chickened out from having taken risks and made big decisions. So at least, I, at least I've done it and learned the lesson and I think that's the thing and I was talking to someone the other day about I'm very lucky to be surrounded by really successful people in my industry and I will celebrate their success until the cows come home I'm so impressed with all of them and I will do anything I can to help them but it made me feel as though I needed to be doing more it made me feel as though 
I had to take this podcast and turn it into a business, that I had to be strategic, I had to scale everything up. And because I saw people around me doing just that, I wanted to do the same. And because I saw people around me doing it and enjoying the benefits of that, I wanted to get those benefits too. I wanted all of that success. But actually, I think the learning for me is that those things just weren't right for me. And that's a, that's a lesson learned. And I don't mind the fact that I failed, if you like, because I do think that failing, failures are stepping stones to success. They tell you what's going to work for you and what won't work for you. They, it's great data. So I'm taking the data from this year. I just think that there have been quite a lot of failures. So there's a lot of data to process. And my ego is getting in the way of that processing, if I'm completely honest. So although it was, has been disappointing, it has allowed me to see with, with clarity that what I've always wanted for the podcast was for it to feature conversations with incredible guests that will be helpful but to also entertain whoever is listening. I don't want to become a self-help guru. I think that's a really problematic space at the moment. If I've just posted something on Instagram today and I imagine I'll get some pushback from it. But I think the self-help personal development space is occupied by a lot of grifters who aren't, who aren't really helping people, that they are just monetizing self-help tropes that's that's my feeling so I've always wanted to make sure that the podcast is helpful but I don't want to sit in a self-help space and I know that might seem like a contradiction but it should just be something people can tap into and hopefully the tone of the conversations is enlightening empowering helpful but is not sort of forcing it down your throat and I think I'm sort of reluctant to talk about this, but I'm just, I am going to be quite honest. I think the podcasting space really changed and it changed in co during COVID in a really good way for a lot of podcasters, especially podcasters who had been around for a long time. Like I have, it's been nearly eight years, which in the UK market, I know a lot of you aren't listening in the UK, but in the UK, we were, we were probably about three or four years behind the US in terms of podcasts hitting critical mass and becoming mainstream media and covid was really the year when that happened and that meant that the podcasting space got flooded with with more people creating podcasts which is great don't get me wrong i'm not complaining about that but as with anything when things begin to get bigger and build traction and people suddenly realize that you can monetize the space then some giants come into it and there there's no point me naming them because if you're listening to podcasts you'll know but some of the bigger podcasts in the uk have re really changed the air in the room, if you like, because they threw so much money at production, at algorithms, and it became much harder to occupy the same space because it was being... Bigger bigger shows were tantalising their audiences. But in addition, they were getting huge amounts of listens. And so it then became harder for the smaller chaps to do what they were doing before. And so if you've been following me for a while, you know that I started filming the podcast at the beginning of this year. It wasn't the change that I was hoping it was going to be in terms of reaching a wider audience. So I stopped doing it. That was a, that was a very big expensive learning, but it was good that I did it. But that this year, I think it's felt like if you want to stay in the podcasting space, you have to throw a lot more at it than you did before. And I actually am sort of coming to the realization of... I know what I'm doing in the sense of I'm not going to platform nonsense. I'm not out here creating podcasts just to get listeners. I, I mean, obviously I want slash need listeners, but I don't want to chase the, what am I trying to say here? I think it would, I think it's very easy to basically get caught up in a race and what I've learned and what's been a tough pill to swallow is that I, I can't participate in that race because I just simply don't have the tools. And if I do, I'll only be able to participate for a short amount of time because it would just drain all of my money and then I'd be at zero. So that's that. So I'm all of the big podcasts who've got huge amounts of money they can throw at production, more power to you. But podcasts are audio. And as much as it's great to have video and you'll see social media clips that I post from Zoom recordings... I want to get back to what this originally was, which was audio. 
keeping people company on their commutes, keeping people company on their walks, keeping people company as they're, I mean, I always plug into a podcast or an audio book when I'm doing some sort of deep clean. And I've done two this week, listeners, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> Why did I do a massive wardrobe clean out? Seriously, at 8pm on a Monday evening, that was just stupid. So what's my motivation in my work and my life? I think it's to get back to what I want to do not what I think I should be doing and I have to be honest I think that's really dominated this year I've just been completely intoxicated by this idea that I have to suddenly get into some big competition and it it's not I'm I'm not signed up (laughs) it's not my competition to get involved with so I just want to do what I do and speak to the people on the podcast I sound like Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing so I'm going to do my kind of dancing um yeah I'm just going to create my kind of podcast and if people love it they love it if people hate it they hate it if people don't find it that's gutting I would love people to find it and that happens when people share the podcast when people I don't know uh, share social media clips tell a friend all of that kind of stuff like sharing is really important but I just want to get back to having conversations with people who are qualified excellent at what they do and can also share something really helpful for somebody who needs it and I also want to get back to the variety of guests my favorite year I think of podcasting in terms of was when I was able to get people like Michelle Visage and the FBI negotiator and a secret service agent and a real housewife like when it's so varied that's when I feel like I'm really cooking on gas because I love the fact that each episode is a surprise to to be honest and that we can go from talking about real housewives to talking about tactical empathy in negotiation I just think how how brilliant that there can be that kind of variety in the conversation so that's what I want to get back to um and yeah in life what's my motivation in life that's a really interesting one too because I would be honest and say that last year turning 45 hit me a wee bit harder than sort of a more obvious landmark birthday like 40 and thinking about how my life was going to look because I've enjoyed, in inverted commas, being a young adult for more than 20 years. And by that, I mean, no responsibilities, self-employed for 10, no children. So my outlook has been pretty much the same of like kind of like a 25 year old for a really long time. And so the way I've thought, I suppose, has been quite short term. But I think turning 45, there was a significant shift into a more long-term approach and that's no bad thing but I think it can be quite confronting to suddenly change how you look at the world and so I don't know what that means in terms of motivation and what I want for it but I think I know that I need to not just toddle along and plod along like I have been I think I have to be a little bit more strategic in my personal life strategic is the wrong word need to be a bit more not just think things are going to happen, but actually be participate in them happening. Uh, and I think that's something as well that I think I mentioned on one of these, one of the bullet points episodes recently about Reese Witherspoon saying, you can't just hope for something to happen. You have to make it happen. You have to ask for it to happen. You have to ask, you have to say, please, you have to tell people that you want stuff because it's not going to happen if people don't know. And I think that's a, a salutary lesson for work and for life. But I think I probably need to be more directional with that in my personal life anyone else relate please do let me know um this question came and this was another facebook question um and it is mentally what helps slash helps you with hair loss what didn't help thank you now this is a really interesting question i know it's a bit of a pivot from life stuff but hey let's lighten up because this message actually came from somebody who has messaged me a few times i would probably say over the last couple of years about hair loss and it makes me think that perhaps the this person, for whatever reason, and this isn't a criticism, isn't taking the advice that I share the most about hair loss, which is the best thing you can do if you are in a place of discomfort, displeasure, or upset about anything. But in the case of uh, hair loss, it's if you are uncomfortable or worrying or upset about it. If you are in a place of that kind of indecision, then you're prolonging that suffering and discomfort. And this isn't just about hair, but in this case, obviously, it could be about anything. If it's, if something's bothering you, then getting help from a reliable, trusted, qualified source is when you are instantly soothed and comforted. But I also appreciate that if you are, I don't know, just in the world, a bit like me with travel, you just assume that if you click on a trichologist's website, you think they're going to be a grifter who might sell you snake oil. 
I completely understand that. And so you'll sort of, you become almost paralyzed as to what to do. You want to do it, but you don't know who to trust. And you know that whatever decision you make is going to be quite expensive. And with hair loss, especially, the space is so filled with so much snake oil and all these fake remedies. Whereas with trichology, it's legit. It's a legitimate evidence-based practice. And so it, it isn't inexpensive, but it's because you're paying for that expertise and it's because you can gain, you will hopefully speak to a trichologist and feel confident in what they're telling you and feel reassured and have a great person to go back to and say, look, I'm still worried about it. Or this is how the results are after three months. This is how it is after six months. Once you get in the care of somebody like that, it's incredible because what happens with hair loss, and it can even be things like the way that a shampoo is marketed, where it sort of promises thicker, fuller hair, um, and then you look, there's a little asterisk and it says thicker, fuller hair based on less breakage. Well, that just means the hair that you've got already. That doesn't mean anything new. But obviously, if you're worried that your hair is looking thin and limp, you think, oh, thicker, fuller hair, I'll get that. So there's a lot of jargon out there and it's very easy to think a supplement or something will work. But if you don't know what you're lacking, if you don't know if you have a vitamin or mineral deficiency and you just start popping tablets, you don't know what you're, what you're topping up or if it's helping. And obviously you might be lucky. You might be like, actually it does sort out your levels, but it would be better to go to a trichologist, get that blood test, find out what could potentially be at play. I tried everything, everything, shampoos, conditioners, scalp tonics, everything, supplements. And some, like the supplements aren't a bad thing, but when I had my blood test, it was like, oh no, this is an iron thing. So you need quite a, an intense course of three months of quite strong iron. I was never going to get that from a supplement that says it was good for hair loss. So that's why I think it's really important to go to a trichologist or somebody who, or a dermatologist who also has a specialty. I know whenever I say go to a trichologist, a dermatologist will come into my DMs and be like, we study the scalp too. But I just think trichology, the study of hair, and I have been to and I'm looked after by Philip Kingsley. The clinic there, Susie Hammond is amazing. And I know that I'm just in the best, best hands, best hands possible, genuine, genuinely. They have been so wonderful and look after me so well. So I just simply can't recommend them highly enough. And they do Zoom consultations. So I'll put the link to Philip Kingsley in the show notes. Um, now this question came from Instagram and it is, how do you manage to keep up healthy eating over the course of the month? And this is a great question because at the tail end of my cycle, it can be much, much harder to make choices that I know will support my ultimate goal because towards the end of my cycle, I start to crave crunch and stodge. And so it's not even, you know, that feeling of just like a, a quite a tough crisp, like a kettle chip on the back of your back teeth. Oh, I just, I crave that. So even though majority of the time, if I've done a workout in the morning, quite a, quite an intense one. I will make sure that I pack myself up with protein not long afterwards. There comes a point where for me, a massive bowl of high protein yogurt and some fruit and some protein powder just doesn't cut it because it's just, it's too soft. There comes a point where I'm like, I want toast. I want crisps. I want something crunchy. I want a giant bag of popcorn that never ends. Like that's where my sort of brain starts telling me. So I have this sort of period where my brain is saying, please get pizza and please get some cheesy dip to dip it into. And I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that those thoughts ever go away. I know that a massive stir fry packed with vegetables and a great source of protein, like for me, my preference is prawns, turkey, mince or chicken breast. That will make me feel satisfied in the moment. But I'm also very aware, having paid attention, that it will also like help me sleep better. If I'm, instead of snacking on crunchy stuff all day, if I can just hold out and have that as my meal, then I'll sleep better. And it will also support the exercise that I've done and the exercise that I plan to do the next day. Whereas in the past, this would have felt like a really crappy choice, as though I've kind of like taken the, the what is it, not the boogie, boogie prize? It's not the right word. <laughs> the booby prize that is the right word isn't it I just haven't said it for many many years anyway I would have been sort of not having the best option I would have <laughs> I would have felt like I was missing out but one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my recovery from an eating disorder is to think about how you want to eat now will make you feel in 12 or 24 hours now bearing in mind I come from an overeating disorder 
So nothing was ever enough. And the pull was always towards food that would make me want more food. So for example, when I do have those carb cravings, those cravings for the texture that's more, that's associated more with carbohydrates, I know that if I give in to them, I give in to them, I've got to be so careful with my vocabulary. I know that if I have those carbohydrates, I will definitely want more quite quickly. And so that's when the cycle and the spiral can begin. So I have to be really conscious of the choice that I want to make because actually as much as I might want to crunch those crisps on my back teeth and there's nothing particularly wrong with that at all, to be honest, I also have to be mindful of the fact that if I do it, I know that in two to three hours I'll want to do it again or I'll want something slightly different. Like this time I want toast or this time I want something else. So actually for me, sometimes when I think, oh, do you know what, I'll just, I will... I will go and get pop chips or something, but I will accompany accompany them with quite a decent amount of protein. And it stops that sort of, um, <laughs> that need, that sort of spiral of eating every few hours. The other thing I've learned is that intermittent fasting really does work for me. As somebody who just used to snack constantly and graze and was never really conscious about eating a meal but was just kind of like constantly picking and licking or like going to the fridge having a little bit of philadelphia almost like taking a teaspoon bit of philadelphia out of that then going back to the fridge a little while later and having a i don't know a corner off something else i just never gave my digestive system a break and one of the biggest things i've learned is that if i just give my digestive system a decent amount of time between meals everything works better without a shadow of a doubt it just my brain is more alert i my digestive system is more um how shall we say predictable <laughs> i sleep better all of the above whereas whereas i i almost have this default mechanism in my brain that's just kind of like for anything that you're feeling whether it's an emotion or whether it's a tummy ache or whether it's a headache feed it and i've had to really work on not having that be the solution to everything and actually now I'm, I've learned, it's taken a long time, listen, I've learned that it is sometimes taking those big, big spaces between meals, not restricting. I just have to be really clear. This is not about restrictive eating. This is about giving my body the time it needs to digest the food that I have already eaten. And it's just so much better all round. So there we go. But there is no doubt that because of hormones, my appetite changes a lot throughout the month. And sometimes I really... I'm not even thinking about food. I'm very much like it takes very little effort to have a later breakfast, have a smaller lunch, have that really well-rounded evening meal, make sure I get 30 grams of protein in each of the three meals that I have, at least 30 grams of protein in each of the three meals that I have throughout the day. It takes absolutely no effort. But then there are times when it takes a lot of effort to consciously make that choice and to think, okay, do you know what? I will have the thing that perhaps... I don't need, but my brain is telling me I want, but I will make these tweaks. And I'm very mindful about how the whole day looks rather than just what that one meal looks like. Um, because when I can't shake that hunger, it can be really, really easy to think, just give into it. But I know, I know now that making that massive stir fry will not only make that hunger pang go away, but it will also make me feel better overall but that's not to say I don't ever have the pizza but I just know that the pizza will sit in my gut and make me feel rubbish even though I'll adore the taste and love it while I'm eating it I just have zoomed out a little bit and think well as much right do I need to enjoy it that much or is it more important that I feel really alert tomorrow morning or whatever it might be I hope that kind of offers some perspective because I just think it can be it can feel quite hard sometimes to not resist but it can be quite disconcerting when your appetite changes significantly because sometimes it comes out of nowhere. And I think this is the thing that people don't talk about. We acknowledge that appetite changes over the course of the month, but we don't acknowledge that sometimes it can go from nothing to literally please feed me everything in an instant. And that can feel quite, as with anything, it can just feel like, oh, well, what just happened there? It can be very, very confusing. And so I try to now think, well, okay, my appetite's increased. Right, let's be very, very mindful here. And let's have massive meals, but let's not put them, let's not fill them with the crappy stuff that we know will make us feel shit. Oh, I said a, I said a bad word. I wasn't expecting to say that. I'm so sorry. Um, apologies if you're listening to this with children in the car. Um, another question from Instagram. What makeup and skincare are you using? Your complexion looks amazing. 
Well, thank you so much. I have actually recently changed things around a bit because I was having laser hair removal on my face up until a few couple of weeks ago. And before my last treatment, I took a break from my tretinoin. I use Skin and Me in the evening because it's not advisable really to be using that when you're having the laser hair removal. So you kind of have a break. And I, around the same time as I was going for my last appointment, I also went on a press trip. I stayed overnight at a hotel in London with Vichy. And the focus of that particular trip was to talk about the neovadial range. Neovadial? I think that's how you say it. Neovadial? No, that's not wrong. That sounds like a tennis player. Anyway, so it's for menopausal skin, but I am really enjoying it. But I still use my skin and me most evenings. But because the weather has changed recently, it's very much shifted from sort of summery autumny to autumny wintry. So I've been using a few more hydrating masks because my skin has been feeling quite dried out. Like I get to the end of the day and I look at it and I think, Ugh, no, no, why? So I just shove on a very hydrating mask and just sort of put some plump back into it, which I enjoy to do. But the Vichy Neovadial range is really interesting. And I'm actually going to do a video on it on Instagram because yes, products are marketed to menopausal women because brands of sus that are menopausal women not only have a disposable income, but will spend it on products if they say it will help with any issue around menopausal symptoms. But this is actually this has actually really taken me by surprise in terms of it's a real pleasure to use. And I do think my skin looks better for it. And the fact that people are commenting on Instagram would potentially back that up. The other thing is that I have started using the current body LED face mask. Now, truth be told, only a few days ago, so none of the results would be visible yet, let alone visible through the screen of a phone on Instagram. But I'm trying to be consistent with it. So the current body LED face mask, I used it a few years ago and I did not care for it because it's red light. There's also another light, but it's um, you can't see it. It's not visible to the naked eye. But it um, when I used it a while ago, I, I just I didn't like how it made my eyes feel. But um, Lindsay Kelk, actually, her skin was looking flipping incredible and she said she'd been using hers consistently. So I dusted mine off and I'm back at it. And it is only 10 minutes and I'm trying to do it daily, but truth is I'm probably doing it for four times a week how many times i've done it monday monday wednesday thursday i haven't done it yet today but i'll probably do it when i get home so yeah i'm probably averaging about five times a week four or five times a week but i'm hopeful because actually when i spoke to alice hart davis about this and she's the author and founder of the tweakments guide she did say that actually if you are consistent with something like that you will you will see results so it's about time because i'm definitely showing signs of wear and tear but um we're coming on to that in a minute because somebody's asked about that but I I know I have to step it up a notch if I want to get the best out of my skin now. So there we go. And in terms of complexion looking amazing, there have been tons of foundation launches recently. Tons. I think there have been so many new foundations this year that it's been quite, quite overwhelming. But the great news is, is that they are very much all sitting in the space when it comes to foundation coverage that I simply adore. And that is a sort of light to medium buildable coverage that isn't matte, isn't necessarily too dewy. It's just the most skin sort of true finish ever. And the three that have been really standing out for me recently, and again, I'm going to do deeper, not deeper dives, but just videos where you can see them on Instagram. First one is the Hourglass Veil Hydrating Skin Tint. Everybody has been talking about this and I got my hands on a sample recently and I was out at a Drunk Elephant event and I saw Sally Hughes and Sam Chapman and they were both wearing it and they both, their skin looked incredible. Then I've been using it and you put it on and it's like, oh my God, wow, How what just happened? It's not even like a foundation because you put it on and it just blends instantly into your skin. It's It's really quite incredible. And then the other one, again, I think I saw Sam Chapman using this a lot and just thought, wow, that looks amazing, is the Shiseido Revitalescent Skin Glow Foundation. My goodness. I have just been blown away by that one. I think the Makeup by Mario Foundation was kind of my favorite foundation from the first half of the year, but the Shiseido Revitalescent Skin Glow Foundation is really quite beautiful. And then the other one that got sent in, and again, it's just been a time issue. I haven't been able to film 
uh, sort of really talk about them in the way that I would like to is the Glossier Stretch Foundation. So the Stretch Concealer is obviously a bit of an icon when it comes to Glossier, but this foundation, whew, I am rotating all three of those at the moment and I feel as though I'm doing much, much less to my skin with makeup because I don't need to. And the other thing that I've been using a lot, I've fallen back in love with it, is the Hollywood Flawless Filter by Charlotte Tilbury. It's truly, truly wonderful. And I know it's a pricey product for what it is. There is also an e.l.f. product that some people on Instagram have said is not better, but definitely uh, up there. It just, just gives us very similar effect. But those three in rotation are the ones that I have just really fallen in love with. And actually, I had a massive beauty clear out recently because I'd been saving so much for best. What a silly thing to do. And I'm talking about foundations or compact, not foundations as much, but compacts and eyeshadows and lipsticks that had been untouched, that had been basically in a big suitcase under the bed for maybe 15 plus years, some of it. Stuff from when I was on a magazine and I thought, oh, well, I'll use those one day, one day and I hadn't ever got round to it and I've decided to crack some of those open. So I've sort of broken out the archive, if you like. And so I'm using those three, the Hourglass Male Hydrating Skin Tint, the Shiseido Revitalescent Skin Glow Foundation, the Glossier Stretch Foundation, but I'm also trying to use some, some things that have been hanging around for much, much longer and they're just so gorgeous. Like I found the Victoria Beckham Estee Lauder collaboration, which is different from what the Victoria Beckham Beauty is now. And just the original packaging and those original formulas, just so, so lovely. So I've been playing around with those a little bit more. So expect more of that to come on Instagram, actually, because there's, as much as I do like to talk about newness, I do think that we've probably all got some amazing things in our beauty stores that have been around for a while that are just brilliant. It's like recently when I posted about Rimmel Heather Shimmer, the amount of nostalgia for that was just incredible. So thank you, actually, if you liked and shared that post, because so many people commented and then DM me saying how it felt really nice to see something from the past talked about rather than just lots of newness, newness, newness. Okay, another habit that I'm working on at the moment. Now, I suppose this is something that I'm being asked because I have talked about habits at great length on this podcast we did 26 habits in 2018 where every two weeks I would either make or break a habit and we did it again was it last year yeah but it didn't really take and I also did I did it for a month and it got quite boring (laughs) just truth be told so we kind of put it on the sideline but that's not to say that like I've done the press up challenge not press up challenge but I set myself a goal of wanting to be able to do a full push-up and so that was something that people especially on Instagram followed along with but I actually think I'm trying to take the pressure off myself a bit and not hold myself to too many habits because I have put quite a bit of pressure on myself this year and I hadn't realized how much until a few weeks ago honestly and I thought okay this is this is ridiculous now Again, if you listen to that bullet points episode, what would it look like if it was easy? I wasn't making things easy. I was making things much harder than they needed to be. And so the only habit that I am being really conscious of working on and maintaining is meditating because I really do feel the benefits of that. And I had lunch with Gillian Lavender from the London Meditation Centre, which is where I learned Vedic meditation a little while ago. I think it was probably a year ago. And I said to her, the thing I really struggle with is the um, afternoon meditation because the principles of Vedic meditation, you meditate not long after you wake up and it's 20 minutes. And then at some point during the day, not too late, but some point during the afternoon after lunch is kind of a good time is not immediately after lunch, but sort of mid-afternoon is another good time to do your second meditation. Now, I am really diligent about doing that first meditation But that second one can be a real challenge because if I'm out and about, if I've got appointments, then it can fall by the wayside. And then I think, well, I'll do it on the train on the way home. But then I'm just, I just can't focus. And so I just end up looking at TikTok or if I've been to an event, I start making a reel because I think, oh, I can, it probably takes me about half an hour. It takes me half an hour to get home. I'll just quickly upload that or I'll get back to those emails. And so when I had lunch with Gillian a while ago, she said, Emma, you've you're going to get the best out of it. You've got things that you want to do. Like if you want Vedic meditation to really work for you, do those two meditations, do those that afternoon one as well. So I have full disclosure, been a bit rubbish with it recently because it has been busy. So the only habit that I'm really working on at the moment is getting back into that afternoon meditation. Like I said, I'm diligent with the first one, but I just haven't been able to get the second one done 
if I've been out and about. So I need to figure out a way of, well, how do I incorporate that into being out and about? Because I have to do it and I do feel the benefit. So there is that. So that's the only one at the moment. But if you want me to do anything else, another push-up style thing, then let me know because I'm I'm actually open to a challenge. I love having something to work on. And actually, as much as I want to get back into the habit of meditation, one of the things that's really good about, say, the push-up habit was building something, starting from zero and making progress. That's actually really good for the mind, body and spirit. So if you have something that I can't do now that you want me to work on then actually that's a great idea i think i might think about something like that maybe for the new year what can't i do now that i would like to be able to do hmm okay well that's sown a seed okay (laughs) next question another one from instagram what is your fitness regime at the moment Uh, this is a really good one because again with fitness this year put too much pressure on myself didn't i so started out the year and i was doing caroline gervin gervan Gervin makes more sense. Caroline Gervin on YouTube. She's brilliant. She has got so many free workouts and she's got programs. So you can follow a 30 day or a 60 day program and you can do the frequency that she suggests, or you can do it at the frequency, which is realistic with your timetable. And that's how I do it. And last year, I think I had done the iron program, which is what it sounds like. It's lifting weights or using weights in your workout, the idea of very much building muscle. And I'd done it, I think I did it once before the end of last year, and then I got to the end of it around the time I, for the second time around the time I went to LA in March. And when I came back, I thought, right, I'm going to take it up a notch. And I kind of made a mistake, because what I did was, not a mistake in a terrible way, but you'll understand what I'm about to say. So I moved on to one of her other programs, And I got through it once, I found it way harder. And then I went back to the beginning and started doing it again. And it was just too much with my schedule and with everything else, it was getting harder and harder to fit it in. And the other thing is the iron program, all of the workouts come in at around 30 minutes, but I moved to the Epic One workout and the majority of the workouts are between 50 and 55 minutes. So you really are you really have to commit to them. And even though I was finding them completely doable, some of them were more challenging than others. It was the time. It was the fact that get up, meditate, start doing the workout. And then it was, it's a big chunk of the morning. And a few weeks ago, I just felt really overwhelmed. Nothing was really coming together. The diary was a complete mess. I was trying to meet up with as many people as possible. I was trying to fit in podcast recordings and all kind of got a bit much. And actually my exercise was one of the things that had to take a bit of a hit because I realized that if I was doing that hours workout in the morning and then I had a full day in town as somebody who walks everywhere I was probably clocking up 20,000 steps in the day having done a workout in the morning gone to five or six meetings an event and then I would come back and I would have nothing in the tank and that's no way to continue so I realized I had to make an adjustment so I actually went back to the iron program which involves getting out my heavier weights but it's only half an hour and I've been doing that for two weeks and the change already is just phenomenal I'm so glad I made that decision I'm still putting in a lot of effort I'm still getting those workouts in but I'm not putting so much time pressure on it and it's so funny as well because you would I I had quite bad delayed uh, onset muscle soreness doms recently and I haven't had that for a while and it's because actually the iron program makes you kind of slow down your movement really think about the mind muscle connection and get those results and like I did a a full body workout the other day it was only half an hour but the staple movement in it was squat presses squat to press my god my goodness my inner thighs my buttocks everything just a very very sore still so I know that it's really working and it just feels like that's a better amount of time for me and it's taken the pressure off a bit but I'm still getting the results that I want so that's my fitness regime at the moment and the other thing is that I actually have hurt my back nothing too major but I've one of my legs I've got I've got a very tight hamstring in my left leg And I've always really struggled to loosen it off. And if I try and stretch it, it just doesn't get into it. 
and it's never been a problem. But then about two months ago, I I did something. I was trying to loosen off my hamstring. I was really concentrating on stretching, but not trying to stretch too hard because that's just silly. And something happened. And now my lower left back is, it hurts like to the point that when I sneeze, I pray for it to pop and just go away (laughs) because it's obviously quite pulled. If there are any physiotherapists listening, please tell me what that is. But it's definitely quite tight. And I remember one morning... This was before I switched workouts to the iron one. But one morning with my warm-up, which involves kind of standing with your legs about, I don't know, two hip widths apart and touching your toe with the opposite hand, I couldn't even get down to touch my left toe. And I've never had that before. So I thought, oh, heck, here we go. This is it, 45 and mobility's going. So I'm trying to be very mindful about, yes, it's really important that I build muscle. It's really important that I... I'm moving my body in this way and that I'm looking after organism, the organism, muscle is the organ of longevity, as Dr. Gabrielle Lyon says. So I'm really mindful that doing strength training is vitally important, especially for a woman and especially for a woman who is entering menopause. Having more muscle mass is just good sense. It's, it's great for so many more things. And Gabrielle's coming back on the podcast, so we'll talk about that at length. But I also have had that reality check of Emma you need to work on your mobility because you can, as much as I stretch after my workouts, I got into pigeon pose the other day and it was so violently uncomfortable in a way. It's never been my favorite position. I don't have that flexibility. I can't, when I get into pigeon pose, my leg is not at 90 degrees. It's at like 10, 15. So I've always had that tightness there. I've always had tight lower back, tight hamstrings. But, but now the idea of my mobility being limited no, doesn't jive with me. So I'm now being very conscious of every morning, the first thing I do, I put on the coffee machine. I then roll out the yoga mat. I get into child's pose. Then I do pigeon, not for very long, like 30 seconds each. Then I have my coffee. Then I do my meditation. So I'm trying to build it into my day because once you lose it, so I'm very, I'm being very conscious to add mobility movements into my day as, as much as the training, because I think now they need equal focus and because yeah I don't want my I don't want to be limited in what I can do truthfully okay we're hurtling towards the end of our time together there's still tons of questions so I'm going to try to find one that will take a few minutes um so that we can sort of round this up so I don't take up too much of your day because I know I've already taken up a lot of your time okay so oh here's a good one um this one I wasn't sure whether it was coming from a troll, but let's just go with it. So the question is, do you feel happier now you've lost weight? And the reason I'm saying I don't know whether it was coming from a troll because it came from an account on Instagram that didn't have a profile picture or or any followers really or any following. And the majority of the time, if you get a nasty comment on Instagram in your DMs, it is from one of those sorts of accounts. But it could be could just be somebody who doesn't use Instagram very much and so doesn't see the point. So let's just give it the benefit of the doubt and say it's legitimate. So do you feel happy now that you've lost weight? I've been thinking about this a lot recently because of another message that I received recently that we'll come on to in a second. But I don't feel happier now that I've lost weight, but I can completely understand why it would look that way because of how I present myself on Instagram and on social media and even on here. And one of the big things is that for many years on social, you only saw me from the neck up. And what has happened in the last few years is that I will now not bat an eyelid at being filmed full length, whereas before it would have made me very, very nervous. So I remember years ago, Nadine Bagger invited me to her house and she said, let's film a, a, let's film a video for her YouTube channel about hair loss. And I was extremely nervous because the camera angle was going to show me really from the waist up. And at the time, I didn't like how I looked. I was really, really horrified. And Nadine, actually, in fairness to her, had to do quite a lot of, I think... I probably pretended like I didn't care, but I think she had to do a decent amount of coaxing or reassuring that obviously you wouldn't have to do with somebody who didn't have those hang-ups. So I understand that now, me sort of prancing around and you can see much more of me, I get how it could look. I'm not happier because I've lost weight. I am pleased that I lost weight, but I'm pleased because 
losing weight for me isn't about the dress size. It's about the fact that I have overcome an overeating disorder where I had no control with or around food. And the fact that I now don't consume it in the volume that I used to, which would manifest in weight gain, is incredibly pleasing. So I think when people ask me the question, do you feel happier now that you've lost weight? I guess I feel a little bit sensitive to the fact that I don't want to participate in the narrative that weight loss equals happiness because that's not it. But weight loss in my case came as a result of overcoming overeating. And I'm really pleased that I don't overeat anymore. And I'm really pleased that I have got all of those things in place I've already talked about on this episode that mean that I don't fall into the trap that I fell into so often for very many years where I was for for me really uncomfortable in my own skin. So that what makes that's what makes me feel really happy because I'm proud of myself for that because it hasn't been easy. It will always be something that I have to be mindful of, but it is something that takes less work at times, more more work at others as we've already discussed. But that's why I'm happy. But I guess I suppose one of the reasons why I wanted to answer this question as well is because not a not a profilist account, but I posted about getting my hair done recently. And again, I'm not particularly used to creating fashion content where you see all of me. So it's a little bit new and it might be a little bit clunky. I don't always think about it necessarily or film it in the way that uh, is best. And I, so I filmed this very short thing. Like these are the three things I do before I go to the hairdresser to get my hair colored. And I was in the hairdresser and I had the camera in my hand and they have a full length mirror. So I was like, I wear a comfy outfit. And then I said, I wear minimal makeup and I don't have product on my hair. And so to show the comfy outfit, you saw me full length. And to demonstrate that I was wearing a comfortable outfit, I kind of tucked my jumper in because I was like, I'll do something with the clothes. And then to show my hair, I kind of spun around and uh, put my back to the camera or to the mirror so you could see the length of my hair. And somebody came into my DMs. And the way that they approached it to begin with was definitely, you could just tell it was like somebody coming up to you in the playground going, why are you wearing that ugly bag? It was so sort of like, well, I know where this is going, but fine, I'll play. And they said, you're body checking. There's been a real increase in body checking on your posts, especially since your weight loss. You should be proud of it, but it seems like you're sharing less about the clothes and your newfound confidence. And it's more about checking your body that's in the clothes. And while I disagree and my instinct was to disagree, I think it's healthy or can be healthy and helpful that even if a point is made in a way that doesn't seem like it's articulated very well or doesn't seem as though it comes from a very good place, it doesn't hurt to take out the nugget <laughs> that could be helpful and see if there's any truth in it. And so I went through my last batch of posts and I was like, no, I don't agree because body checking, if you look at if you look it up, which I did would be if I was measuring myself or if I was holding myself in or touching myself or um, being really like touching, like, you know, like really pulling in my waist or showing how, like showing a rib or something like that. It's very, there's a big difference between body checking and just, and, and showing yourself full length and turning around in front of the camera. And I was chatting to a friend about it because I said, okay, I need you to be honest with me because I might get it wrong. I am a little bit, it sounds weird, but it is all a little bit new to me. I don't know what necessarily is appropriate. I, I've started filming myself full length, but I, I, maybe I am getting it wrong, potentially. And she said, which is really interesting, she's like, no, it's a bit personal. And I would wager that that person might be having similar struggles to the ones that you've had and probably is a little bit further behind you on their timeline and maybe they're cross or maybe it's just somebody who is just particularly critical of people on Instagram, but I wouldn't pay any attention. So it was just very interesting for me, the sort of reactions that you get from people about this sort of thing. And I don't want to participate, as I said, in this very unhelpful narrative that weight loss equals happiness, because it absolutely doesn't. I lost weight three times before. And when I say lost weight, I mean dropped the same 40 to 50 pounds three times in my life. And it didn't feel like I wanted it to but it feels good now because there's a there's an eating disorder that has been overcome slash identified and worked on that's what makes me feel great but I also it's difficult to be able to put something empowering out there about weight loss without people thinking that you're feeding into something negative 
And equally, if I did go on Instagram and go, oh my God, I can wear this size clothes. I mean, obviously that would be really clunky and ill-advised. But even if I did, I would like to think that it wouldn't gain, well, no, it would get criticism, wouldn't it? But you can understand how somebody could do that if they did suddenly feel really like, oh my God, I can do this for the first time. So I think we just have to be a little bit more compassionate with each other. But if you are struggling with weight loss or if you, because this has come up a few times, I said I was going to bunch some of the questions together. Let me know and I can get some more experts on the show to talk about the ways and means in which you can perhaps think think about how you approach food, exercise, and release yourself from these very unhelpful cycles of restriction or whatever it might be, because it's really crappy to be on that cycle. I have been on it. And if I do look happier, it's because I feel as though I was able to get off that ride. And if that's where you are, I want that for you too. Okay, goodness, time has flown. Thank you so much. There are more questions, but what I might do, I mean, we could do another episode. So maybe the first episode in December will be a follow-up on this one, answering the questions that didn't get answered. And if there's anything from this that you would like me to expand on, get in touch as soon as you hear it, if you're hearing it in November 2023. And I will answer that. I will do a sort of follow-up in the December episode. So just let me know as soon as you can. Thank you so much for listening. I will put the links to everything that I have mentioned in the show notes. Like I said, share it with your friends. Tell people that you know and love about an episode that you've listened to that you think that they might enjoy. Wouldn't that be lovely? Um, Thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure spending it with you. I will see you on the next one.